Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In by Kulisevsky. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who knows a non-radical, because he's a radical. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> uh, that was in reference to your Gary the Knicker tweets. Um, that has panned out well for the BBC, hasn't it? Oh, my God, man. We, we I mean, if you're going to pose a question like that you're opening up a fucking 20 minute section of the podcast honestly honestly <laughs> like yeah you're right let's not go there there's no need everyone else is doing it but for fuck's sake <laughs> ian wright is a legend by the way i really um yeah. i really hate to say it as a as a spurs fan but ian wright is a is a damn good person yeah yeah i get that impression too to be honest I, yeah kind of love him kind of love him one of those things um Thank you to to our listeners for the bumper crop of emails this week, and I guess that was always going to happen in a in a week where we lose to Sheffield United and Milan and go out of two cups. But we had emails from Ivan Victor, Fergus McKee, Steve Dolan, James Sullivan, Mark Bird, Bradley Heath. If I've not mentioned you, it's probably because we've captured your question and we'll hope to answer it at some point, either in this podcast or in a future podcast. But it has been a busy week for the extra inch email inbox and also on the discord as well thanks to everyone who submitted questions on the discord um there's there's lots to talk about and we figured that we would start off by talking about forest because it's the most recent match and i guess it's the most uplifting one um uh and then we'll we'll delve into what happened midweek so uh forest okay so the line the lineup for forest was kind of back to what had been working previously. So Richarlison came back in, although this time it was on the right rather than the left. Uh, Pedro Porro played and Ben Davis returned to left wing back, which I actually think was had a, made a big difference uh, for me. Um, what did you think of the lineup, Bardi? Um, yeah, it was almost kind of back to basics. Um, wasn't really anything surprising about it. I think um, when Ben Davis has played over Perisic, I think our record is, is completely different. So I think it, I think it was a smart move to do. 
Yeah, and I think... Richarlison, sorry. Richarlison playing, I mean, Kulusevski was abominable against Milan. He was terrible. It's, one, it's the worst performance I've seen him play. And it's always funny because then um, Carlo Garganese, who's, who got binned off by Spurs fans for, for laughing at us when we signed Kulusevski, decided to pop his head up. Oh, did he? The, yeah, and started coming after Spurs fans saying, see, I told you, even though I don't think it's the, that's the right time. Um, but he was bad against Milan. So I, I guess taking him out of the starting lineup is probably probably the right thing to do. And Richarlison, you know, as he said himself, he's been playing shit. So he, he needed to prove something. And I, I thought it was a good move to start him. I don't, I don't think he's been playing shit. I think he's had a... I think the, the, the point about him having a shit season, as he, when he phrased it, was because I've been in and out of the team unfairly. I think that's what he was getting at. Um, and I think what Conte was saying in, in response to that was... It's been a shit season because he's been injured constantly. Plus, he had the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. Um, I thought he'd done really well in his previous appearances. And I thought he was probably our best player against Forest. Sure, sure. I mean, there, there were some good performances. So he was he was one of several, I think, that, that, that played well. I think that Forest are really bad. I, um, I really watched the game and they just didn't get you know within a yard of the ball for much of the first half mm. um they're second bottom in in expected points or they're, they're doing okay on the actual table um they'd scored three away goals all season in wow. the league prior to this match wow in the in the reverse fixture at the beginning of the season they came out and pressed us pretty hard and gave us a hard time when we played we had davinson sanchez and that was a game where emerson Royale was playing right on the touchline i thought oh okay that's sort of they've done some good work there this time they just look they look dead from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously it's 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 absurd timing to like put up a performance. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think there's um there's too much we can take from from that performance based on how poor Forest are, in my opinion. Um, I think that, and obviously we did this way back earlier in the season that the Richardson on the right with with Kane Sun is is um not a well balanced front line at all um and hey he did well and and not only did he do well in terms of what you traditionally expect from Richarlison which is graft and goals um but he managed to do some of the chance creation stuff that we he need did. that that right sided player to do but with all that established um I thought Forrest were terrible and I don't think he's going to do that <laughs> against other better teams Sure. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I w- I would say the um the the goal that never was the offside goal, uh that was a fantastic finish. Nice. Really nice. Mm. I th- I think Richardson is a really good player. I'm glad we signed him. I know that the season hasn't panned out how how he'd have hoped, how everyone else would have hoped, but there's a lot there, isn't there, to work with. Have we got a question about his comments coming up in the running order? Well, uh, Voodoo Chopsticks, Dan, says, is there a chance Richie is playing better because of his row with Conte and then getting an earful in the presser comments? On the whole, I don't like it, but some players respond to that stuff. I imagine Richarlison is the kind who might. He seems to thrive in conflict or a Forrest is shit. Yeah. I think Forrest I mean, is just I, shit. <laughs> I do think, um, you know... It's, sometimes it, we do think of football as a bit WWE, that there's a conversation that happens in front of the camera, in front of the microphones, <laughs> and then they don't, and like nothing else happens the rest of the time. Yeah. Like a, in, a, in a soap opera, you're there <laughs> watching the dinner, and then you disappear, and then you come back and the next day. There is conversations and things that happen in, this, in the gap where we're not there. So Richarlison has said something, and then Conte says something, but in between that, there's like, three or four days where they're hanging out together they're they're training they're chatting so it's not just like 
cutscene, Richardson complains. It's not football manager complains. Oh, I played. This is a shit season for me. Mm-hmm. And then Conte two days later says this, and then Richardson goes, "Oh, okay, because he said that there, I've got to change how I play." <laughs> I don't think so. I think Forest they were very. They were probably the perfect team we could have played. Hundred percent right team that doesn't press well, doesn't sit deep well, kind of does a bit of the two. Is um, continues to be a total mix of individuals, and it was a nice opposition to play. Mm-hmm. And um, but I still think it was a good result. And it's come on, it keeps us going to push it towards top four, which is the most important thing. I thought Richardson played really well. I thought he ran in behind nicely. He was really his his movement was good, and I think it gives me hope that if Kane leaves. Richarlison through the mid, Richardson through the middle with two smart people either side of him could be a forward line that that might work for us in Kane's absence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he has essentially only played well. Um, he's played most of his minutes on the wings as it is. Um, he's not looked great as centre forward for us, but <clears throat> he has been a good centre forward in the Premier League before. So I don't think we have to be too mm. concerned about that. There, there's something there. There's something there. Um, I mean, it's kind of wild. Uh, you're right that obviously, you know, more conversation has happened than just what has been in the public eye. But it, it's um, it was definitely surprising to see him to see him start after his comments um, midweek because um, to me that his comments, the game against Milan, Conte's comments post match, Richarlison's post comments post match. To me, that was the point where I'm like, he's got to go. And then for him to start, <laughs> for him to start, who's got to go? Conte, Conte, or yeah. Well, <laughs> either Conte's got to go, or Richarlison's not in the the squad anymore. But I'm wrong because then he he starts and sort of kind of scores immediately. <laughs> um, man, so so Conte said. Um, Conte came out in the presser and diffused it and said, "Look, his comments. He he wasn't critical of me, but like he was. He was critical of Conte for sure." Um, he said um, he he critiqued the the tactical approach. Said that like we're we're behind. We should have put players forward. I don't understand the approach. Um, he said I don't understand. I played two good games in the wins against West Ham and Chelsea, which I agree with. Now, when he said that, he ignores the fact that he started against Sheffield United mm-hmm. um, and was, had his poorest game. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that that is that that performance was worth overlooking in terms of the of whether he should have started against Milan. Um, but he's he's ignoring that it's a possibility. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I felt to me this this was this was the materialization of Conte um, losing the dressing room, and so um, Saturday's game does a hell of a lot to not change things, but to diffuse the immediate tension of of things. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know if I'd go so far to say it's losing the dressing room. I don't. I think I think that's a bit of a that's a bit of a, a statement because. Richarlison's comments at, where did he mention the tactics I don't yeah. think, he, think he I just thought his comments were someone who was frustrated I don't think I, I would take that as losing the dressing room I think if if he had lost the dressing room then Richarlison doesn't play against Forest. I think we perhaps see a different intensity in how the team plays so uh, yeah I'm not too sure on that I, I, I agree that Conte's really messed up in the last in the last week or so and the performances in the FA Cup and Champions League have been awful but I don't know if you I don't I still I'm still not, not at the point where you sack Antonio Conte for that. I've I've come to the acceptance that if you lot want him sacked, then everybody else seems to want him sacked. They just sack him. I don't give a shit. But I still don't think Antonio Conte's performances as a Tottenham manager deserve sacking. I still think we're way, way, we're nowhere near the point of of kind of bottoming out as a a football club. Hmm. Maybe that's a good... I was going to say maybe it's a good chance to move on to the Milan game, but actually I do want to reference a couple of other performances from the Forest game. I think mm. it's worth discussing Pedro Porro's performance 
I think um, he he's starting to show some really good signs in his performances. I think his um, uh, his bravery in build up is is really impressive. He wasn't always hitting the mark, but he was trying things that were exciting and forward thinking way more so than we've seen from any of our other right wing backs over the past couple of seasons. And I think that bodes incredibly well for the future. And also Fraser Forster. I know people have criticised him for the goal we conceded, but I thought he was really good with his feet, with his hands, and obviously with a penalty save as well. And I, I don't think he's let us down, really. I mean, people have pointed to the Leicester game. Um, I, I think even that's a little harsh, to be honest, to criticise him for those goals. I have been quite impressed with Forster since he came in. Um, and look, he's not a huge upgrade on Lloris, obviously, but I don't think he's a downgrade. I've been after I've been after Forster starting since Arsenal away, really early in the season. I, I've been I've been after Lloris for for a few years now. I just think there's a there's a massive downward trend in Lloris, and even though he remains a guy that can pull out an incredible shot stopping, he can pull off saves that other people can't. I think there's uh, he's approached a point where his general kind of performance it, it's it's just not there anymore. And mm. I think Fraser Forster is a lesser goalkeeper. Fraser Forster at his best is nowhere near what Hugo Lloris is at his best. But right now. Fraser Forster is is the sensible option to be playing goal because he's um he's just he's just a solid goalkeeper. He's massive and he's just a solid goalkeeper. I think we get we get so obsessed with the size of him. And I've just mm. said it there. I've used it to describe him. But he's just his performances are consistently sevens, seven and a halves. And then he, he has the ability to make a, to make good saves as well. I just think he's just so much a smarter option now. And if Lloris um, recovers, I wouldn't start him. I'd keep Forster to the end of the season. I think Lloris needs to be moved on. And I think we need to think properly about this goalkeeper situation. Mm. But I'm fully behind Forster. I've wanted him to play for a long time. I like his dependability. I agree completely. I, I think that goalkeeping has improved mm. at this club. Um, obviously, yeah. Forster was really poor against Leicester. Um, do, you, do you think, Nathan, do you think he was really poor against Leicester? Because hmm. um, I, like, I, I saw a lot of blame for those Leicester goals that I thought was misguided and a little unfair. I mean, you know, the, the problems against Leicester occur a long time before the shot happens right and as the shot is happening too before it becomes Forster's fault um definitely like aesthetically it the his his lack of ability to get down to the bottom corner looks bad but it's not something you know if if that's such a big obvious thing then um other clubs have really failed to just take low (laughs) corner shots right or we've prevented them from doing that so um it's not been a death sentence meanwhile He's much better with his feet. Um, he's so generally more commending of his of his area. His his saving is more consistent, as Buddy's saying. So yeah, uh, and and that's not to talk about him as being an especially good goalkeeper, right? We're talking about mm-hmm. a, a a league average aged mm-hmm. goalkeeper. Um, mm. That's the situation that we've allowed to develop with our mm-hmm. with the goalkeeping at this club over the last decade. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with Bardi's key point, which is that Forster puts in. Uh, consistent Steady. performances around the 7 out of 10 mark whereas Lloris fluctuates between a 1 out of 10 and a 10 out of 10 and yep. and I don't think that's sustainable and I think the confidence that Forster gives to the defence with his sort of unflappability is also really critical you know our defence has certainly been nervous at times this year 
And I do think Lloris feeds into that. So having a player that can c- control the ball and pass out sensibly, yeah. actually some really good passes from Forster as well. Like yeah. he can pass the ball first time, which is lovely. It's, it's really refreshing to have a goalkeeper get and play a first time pass out. It's the fact that like our defenders know that they can pass to him when they're under pressure. Yeah. And it, and you can feel that they, they're they terrified to do that with, with Hugo in goal. Before we um, before we go to Milan, there's, I, I'll probably forget it when we start talking about Milan because there's loads more to come. But there was one moment against Milan where they high-pressed us for the first time. <clears throat> and everybody in the south stand shit themselves. But Forster, Romero and the rest of the defence stayed quite calm. And we, we created a massive counter-attack because we were able to play through their press by using our back three and our goalkeeper. And that doesn't happen with Lloris. And the other thing, I do agree, their, their corner goal, that's a little flag. We need to keep an eye on that. He came for that. It was almost like he'd made a good save leading up to the corner and he'd made a good punch at a previous moment and it was just like he got carried away and thought he could go get it. Yeah, it was predetermined, wasn't it? He'd kind of decided to do it before he even saw the ball. Which is totally different for us because we we have a goalkeeper that on corners is is totally reactive and not proactive. Mm. So maybe there was something there. On the Leicester thing, I think two of the goals were... The, the the forwards used he was unsighted especially the first one yeah. and the Iheanacho one um, he used Dyer as a wall and Dyer is the biggest wall you can find on the football pitch and the other two was one was a good finish one on one and then the other one was a nice a nice slot away um, yeah sorry Nathan go for it no I was just going to say Pedro Porro um, really outstanding mm. in yeah. possession in offence um, got dribbled five times um, against the worst team we played in the league this season I I would be really interested to look at those dribbles and and mm. try and understand them a bit better. Uh, failed five tackles might be a more accurate um, the, thing. But, but but this is it because if he's trying to make tackles like high up the pitch, yeah. when there's players covering behind him, that's not a problem. Rather if he's trying to make tackle, stood yeah. up outside his own box. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I th- I just think he's obviously a much more high risk player. But it's high risk, high reward, right? Um, and I'm here for that. Absolutely here for it. Uh, I, I really, really like Pedro Porro. I think he is a terrific signing him a long term for us. And I think also he's going to become such a massive fan favourite as well. Like he's got he's got a bit of uh, chutzpah about him, hasn't he? Hmm. His um his cross for Kane's goal was a beautiful really nice. piece, piece of technique mm. that we would never would never have happened with Emerson Royal. Well, all the the nice things Royal does, he can't do it. He can't do that, and that's that's what we want from our wing backs. And it was a really nice performance. And yeah, I I really like him. He, he's settling in nicely. Mm. So let's do let's do Milan. Um, a difficult night for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, I would say. I think the reason it was a difficult night is because we were 1-0 down from the first leg and what we put in was a really unadventurous display at home, under the lights, as they say, and it felt like, it just felt like we could have gone for it more. Um, Or at all. Yeah, I know. Uh, What was going on there, Bardi? It wasn't good. Milan had their plan. They stuck to it and um, they were able to press us because when they pressed us, they had an excellent goalkeeper who could sweep up behind them. And when they sat deep, they were able to do it because they had decent midfielders and defenders who were able to, to cope with that. So they were they were tactically really good. They could press us high or sit deep and they were comfortable in both situations. And um, when they when they did sit deep, they had an incredible outlet who could counterattack us in, in Liao, even though he had a shocking game. Um, they were better than us over the two games. They controlled the 
games better than us and um, they deserve to go through. We kind of lacked, we lacked anything really. I thought it was lackluster from everybody. Skip and um, Skip played well. I think that's about it. That's the only joy we can take from that. Mm, it was really disappointing. Well, I think um, sort of tactically when they when they played with the high line, which was in period to the game, Tomori was just absolutely outstanding at covering him behind mm. and eating up the ground. You know, So when we did look to get him behind and threaten, he was just there to snuff everything out. He's, he's so good. I mean, I, I've said it before, but I don't really know why he consistently gets overlooked for England. He's a brilliant centre-back um, and he was great. And then I thought Teo Hernandez put in one of the best left-back performances I've seen in years, just driving forward constantly, driving the whole team forward from that left-back area. Um, just really expressive in possession, like dominating that, that side, but also kind of motivating his teammates as well. I mean, he was just fabulous to Sensational. watch. Sensational. A sensational performance at left wing back, at left back. But they, it's just like they do play. They kind of they do the old kind of Mourinho formation where they just scoot the right wing back or right back along and just mm-hmm. let him push up. Yeah, him and him and Liao, they're fantastic players. Milan, Milan were there for the taking, but Milan are no mugs. And in the moment they scored that early goal in in the San Siro, it became a situation where they just tried to manage the game, and um, they did that. They probably stunk the place out. But um, they they got what they needed. They they did us one nil over aggregate like we did to them um, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I mean to be honest, buddy, I think that you have have, have um, made the same mistake that I think Conte made, which is overpraising Milan um, and 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 not sufficiently criticizing Tottenham because I think that we were super super poor. Um, obviously in the first leg, but especially in this leg at home needing to get a goal um you know one nil down against uh, a Milan who yeah did win the Scudetto last season but this season have been much much poorer not to say that they are without a threat because they obviously do have at least one threat in a half hour but um are not an incredible team um by any means but they didn't have to be they 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 got their goal and I look I was I've been heavily criticism criticism critical of um the performance and critical Conte for for this and he deserves everything that he gets for this because it was it was shambolic but I think I think Milan played an excellent game in doing what they needed to do to stop us they they knew how to stop us and we, our players were unable to to create anything and the amount of times we managed to work the space the ball into space out wide with Kulusevski and Son there was just a real lack of quality from those two coming in the Kulusevski must have hit three or four crosses in straight out play. Whereas last season he was pinging those either onto Kane at the back post or Sessignon who was running in. And I think added to the tactics, added to the performance of some individuals who were really, really bad that night. Mm. But I still don't think you sack him for this one. I don't think you sack him for this. I still think we've gone a bit too far and just sacking him because we're out of the cups, you know? Well, like I said, I, I, um, the game against Forest diffuses the tension a bit, but yeah. on like through midweek, I wanted him gone. Um, I wanted him gone. Okay, yeah, in part because of the the performances, um, but very much capped off because of how he spoke about the club after the fact. And okay, this isn't new. He spoke about the club quite poorly in the past, um, but basically. When he's winning, you kind of give him a pass. But when we go out there and we play like shit and we approach the game from a very naive tactical angle and we show nothing and then he comes out and says, well, you know, you're just, you know, little old tiny Tottenham. That's That crosses the line for me. And that is a sackable offence. So we got a couple of questions about that. Let's do that. Uh, Harry Hantel said... 
this mug talking about AC Milan's history. What about Antonio Conte's history in the Champions League and presents his his win percentage compared to Tottenham's and compared to yep. Pochettino's? And Phil Mayo also sent a brilliantly furious email about Conte's comments, ending it with, this is my fucking club and we'll be here long after Antonio Conte has bounced in his next quarterfinal. Uh, it's difficult to argue. I mean, he he does this. He talks about Tottenham in in quite a disrespectful way a lot of the time, like he's doing us a favour, like yep. Mourinho used to, which we criticise Mourinho for. So I think, I think it's wrong for us not to criticise Antonio Conte for the same thing. Well, I We've got to be consistent. I think he's now gone further than Mourinho did, which says a lot. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I, I've, got, I've got another question I want to ask uh, from, from Harry TS. But okay. before I do that, let's talk a little about that substitution. I think the, the Davinson Sanchez for Dayan Kulusevski substitution will go down in in Tottenham history, Tottenham folklore, like the because, Lucas one for Nuno. Yeah, it was almost unfathomable, and I understand the logic. Don't get me wrong; I understand the logic behind it. As in, you know, in throwing players forward, you want someone who can recover quickly and cover space, and who mm-hmm. is a fast defender. But there were minutes to go across a two-legged tie, and we had to find a goal. And he took off Dejan Kulusevski, who Our by all means had a poor... Oh, yeah, this is it. That's what I was going to say. You know, he had a poor, poor game. He is our one playmaker. He's the only playmaker on the pitch. And he took him off for Davinson Sanchez, a centre-back, a fast centre-back, and left Dan Juma, our January signing, on the bench. Other options were on the bench. Richarlison was on the bench, right, at that point? No, no Charlison was on. on the pitch. On, apologies, Richardson was on. I, I I couldn't get my head around even just the sort of um, the message that signal that sends to the players and also to the Milan players and to the crowd. You know, I think it's almost as much about that as it is about the actual personnel change itself. What did you make of that being there, Bardi? I mean, it, it really sucked the life out of the crowd. Mm. It wasn't a smart decision. It it gives off the wrong signals. Um, was was there booing? Um, no, there was surprise. It was there wasn't booing. It wasn't like Gasping. when Lucas got pulled off. Yeah, it wasn't like when Lucas got. Who um, was it? Lucas got subbed on or off? Subbed off for um, was it Bergvine? Doesn't matter. It's the fact that Lucas was was yeah. the only player yeah. on the pitch who was sort of trying things. There wasn't that reaction to it. There was surprise um, and obviously a bit of upset, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the same levels. I don't know what he was doing. Perhaps he just wanted the big man in the middle to to cause some confusion. He, I mean, he nearly won a penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can imagine. If, if, imagine if Sanchez had scored. Conte would have just put his fingers up and run up and down the touchline. <laughs> I don't think he. I don't think he. I think he did it to try and win the game, and I don't think he's personally trying to scupper the match sure. and just pissing people off. He believed it was the right decision, and who are we to to say it wasn't? It, well, it wasn't. It didn't work. So um, I don't know. You can't defend that. It was a stupid decision. It it looked stupid. It and it fucking ended up being stupid. So that's all you can say about that. But you still don't sack him for putting on Davinson Sanchez. There's no. You still. I'm still out of point. I'm not. I'm not Conte out because he's Italian or anything else like that. I'm not I'm not Conte out because I don't think he's gone far enough yet. If you want to fire him, I think he needs to go further. If you really he really, really needs to piss everybody off. He really needs to lose to a manager in jail. He really <laughs> needs to not finish top four. There has to be a line where this is the point and now you're over it and now you're sacked. Lose to Forrest. And then, then he gets closer to the line. Lose to Southampton, then he gets closer to the line. The, point, the moment top four is no longer on, 
or third position isn't no longer on, then you fire him. Can't fire him now. I think we've got a question along this along these lines. Mm. Nathan, do you want to say anything about the substitution before we uh, get up to that question? Um, yeah, I, I get it from a from a tactical perspective. So we'd already, in my opinion, the worst sub was made <laughs> earlier. We it's we, a fair point. We had. Um, even before that, in fact, we made a sub that moved Emerson Royale over to left wing back uh, and put Poro on at right wing back. Um, this is um, something that Windy's been calling for for a while and I've been sceptical of. Um, but what it meant was that Royale was able to do his inside game on the left. Some was out on the touchline. Um, and then also Kulosevsky was in narrow and Poro was on the touchline. So essentially four players, all four of these pieces in um, optimal roles for them. And I think that we had started to turn the game. I thought that we'd finally put a couple of moves together. Not great football, not not tantalising, not we're definitely going to score now, but I was I was impressed. Momentum shifted at this Momentum all. shifted. Yeah. Um, some was getting good touches. Kulosevsky was getting good touches. Something was going to happen there, I think. And then we subbed off uh, Royale for Richarlison and went to 4-4-2 and we lost all momentum, in my opinion. So that mm. was the worst sub. After that, Romero gets red carded. Obviously, things have to happen in order for Romero to get red carded. In fact, that's a talking point we should come back to as well, um, if that's not already there. Um, so maybe we, we, you know, we'd lost enough control to put Romero in that kind of a position, not excusing what he did. Um, so after that, we've we've only really got two centre backs left on the pitch. One of them is is Ben Davies, who's not really a recognised player in a in a in a two. So I kind of get it. I kind of get it. And and you've got enough forwards on the pitch. That's basically what Conte's claim was. You already have enough forwards on the pitch. You can't just have eleven forwards because then no one's going to get the ball to them, right? Um, but I also completely get that it bemused fans in the stadium that it sucked the, the life out of the stadium and that we all completely lost hope. So there's that clip going round um, where Harry Kane comes over to the sideline, has some kind of exchange with Conte while while Davinson Sanchez is waiting to come on. And uh, Conte does an Italian pleading hands thing with him and there's some back and forth exchange. And then Mason is stood there shrugging bemused repeatedly shrugging Davinson Sanchez looks confused or maybe pissed off so we don't know what happens there maybe they're just discussing whether Romero should have been sent off or not right I think I've looked at this and everything I say now is like I'm I'm protecting Conte but I do think I do think Stellini and Conte are talking in Italian to each other because they're talking they're not talking at anybody but they were they gesticulate. They were there to gesticulate, which makes me think they're speaking yeah. Italian. And I think Mason is there. He doesn't know what's going on because they're they're all spaghetti, spaghetti, pasta, pasta. <laughs> and Mason, Mason is just like speak normal. And then um, I think that's why there's a lot of shrugging going on. Maybe. Oh, I maybe. mean, maybe, may, maybe then if they're speaking in Italian, maybe Mason's saying. I don't know, Harry. I don't know why they're not giving you instructions on what to do next. <laughs> maybe, maybe you know, we 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 try to take we look for we look for something in everything, and a five second clip of, clip of body language it's, is it's funny. Always, it is funny. It is fun. It is funny, and it, it could be twisted to suit the narrative and everything else. And I accept that. I accept. And it might be yeah. the case that what they're discussing is why he's bringing Davinson and Sanchez on. Mm. Mm, it might be. It, I mean, Italian managers have a history of this in one of the darkest moments of Italian of Italian football Ventura 
went to didn't put on um, he put on Daniel, Daniele De Rossi instead of Insigne when Italy were looking for a goal against against Sweden and his excuse was he wanted to build you can't just keep throwing on forwards like Nathan says so it's about building the structure behind that that allows it to happen and De Rossi questioned what are you doing put on the forward instead <laughs> um Dino Zoff in the 2000 final against France, they're winning 1-0, got criticised for, for making incorrect subs. It's, this does, it is an Italian trait, and I agree with that. It's, the way that Conte has been brought up is you win games by, you don't need to be over the top, you just need to win a game. And I do think he was looking for something in Sanchez to help us win the match. And it was wrong. It looked wrong, smelled wrong, and it ended up being wrong. And uh, yeah, but you don't suck him for that, but anyway. No, again, so, I think that you sack him for for what he said after for what he said after for what Richarlison said. Like you you made a comment a moment ago. Mm. Um, sorry, I've already forgotten. But it, Richarlison says, "Look, he doesn't talk to me. He doesn't explain why I'm not played in these games." He he said, yeah. "If you pass a late fitness test, then you'll play against Milan." And then I did, and then he didn't play me against Milan. Those are the kind of things that we think he's maybe he's lost the dressing room. Mm. Yeah, I think. I would have taken personally. I would have taken off Sun, but if you take off Sun, you 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 take away that possibility that he might just smack one into the top yeah. corner. But I I do think keeping Sun on that pitch hurts us a lot. I would have taken off um, Sun for Richarlison. That would that would have been my option. And yeah, I would have left Kulusevski on instead of bringing on Sanchez. I would have taken off Hjoiberg and put on Sanchez. <laughs> of course you would. Yeah. Um, Nathan, you said you wanted to talk about Romero. Okay. Yeah. So so um, he got a red card the other week, and we said, look. He normally gets away with this. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an incredible history of being on a yellow card from early on and not getting sent off. This is the first time it's happened, at least for us. So we'll give him a pass this time. But if it keeps happening, we have to call him out on it. And um, the weekend we play against Sergio Aurea, a player who I criticised again and again and again for for this kind of stuff. So it's only fair that I also say um, this trend is now going in the wrong direction. Um, there was no need for either of the challenges he made in that Milan game, the way he went into them. Um, and perhaps perhaps the only reason that he's been getting away with not getting double yellows this whole time is is luck. Um, and, and I'm now definitely concerned about his his tendency. I completely agree. He, what he did was um, was shameful against Milan. With 15 minutes to go, there's, it's it's totally it's an unnecessary challenge yeah. against City. We let him off. Grealish was running in behind. There was runners behind him. He he took one. It was five minutes to go. We were winning, and he he took the yellow. He took the second yellow. I thought what he did against Hernandez was was ridiculous, yeah. and I think he's got away with it literally because he's Romero. Had it been anybody else, there would have been a massacre. Um, it's not good. In the um build up to the one goal that happened across these two legs. Teo Hernandez bodied Romero. I wonder if he was out for revenge. But he can be out for revenge, but not when you're on a yellow card yeah. and not when not when we we desperately need 11 men on the pitch. Mm. Yeah, I kind of feel like in isolation, the second tackle was way more defensible than the first. I thought the first was so stupid yeah. and needless and it meant that he was essentially walking a tightrope for the whole game, as the cliche goes. And I felt the second... You know, you have to take some risks at that stage in the game. You have to try and win the ball back early and keep the pressure on. But because he was on a yellow, it made it too much, too much of a risk. Um, and obviously, like, he just mistimed it terribly. And it, it looked really bad. Um, I still think... I mean, I do take Nathan's point that we have to... We have to criticise him because we criticised Aurier, but the difference between the two in terms of overall quality is so significant. Sure. I, I think you just allow it with the Romero, to be honest. I if if I he, if he starts can. missing three games at a time because he's he's committing 
worse fouls, I think it's more of a problem. But if he picks up like three reds a season where he misses one game, I don't, I don't care to be honest. I don't think you can forgive this. Um, once you can, twice you can't. And I think there has to come a moment where he needs to... I don't want to take the aggression out of it. Do you remember when Delhi was first on the scene and it was that aggression, that bulliness that got him a couple of red cards, but it was what gave him that edge. You don't want to take away his edge, but he needs to be a bit smarter. Either he needs to control himself for the for the first half or, I don't know, he just needs to make better decisions. But then I, you can't you can't, can't blunt... You don't want to blunt him because he's an incredible player, but he needs to take some responsibility for that. Mm. Uh, before we talk about sacking Conte, <laughs> uh, we are once again partnered with Athletic Greens for 2023, so I shall hand over to Bardi. I started taking AG1 because my health is important to me. I've been re- reminded of that this week after a cold virus wiped me out like a Romero tackle. Looking after yourself is important. We've all got responsibilities, people to care for and work to do and agendas to push if you're windy. <laughs> so look after yourselves as much as you can. I do this by trying to sleep well, moving around even when I'm not able to run like usual and by taking my regular supply of AG1. Don't wait until you feel your worst to aim for being your best. Every day is another chance of being great or an AG1 shaker. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb and it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We've got another new exciting partnership to, to talk about, um, and we will do over the coming weeks, but we're very happy to, to say that we're going to be partnered with the 1882 fanzine, which is a terrific little fanzine that I've been admiring and contributing to, actually, for since it was created. Um, it's a lovely little piece of work. We will we will put the link to it in the show notes. Uh, you can go and buy the, the previous copies There'll be another edition coming soon, which Bardi has written an article for, and uh, and we'll be doing a lot more talking about that in the in the future. Um, it's something we want wanted to support because we it's something we believe in. I think it's a it's a lovely little fanzine. Let's talk Conte's future, and I think um, I I kind of 
I wanted to sack Antonio Conte in January because I felt that a change in manager might help us in the cups and might help us in the league. And at this point, we're down to we're at the cups. That's gone. They're gone. Uh, and we're down to one game a week. And Harry Tates and Stoke says this. I've been vehemently Conte out for a while, perhaps even before it was actually the right thing to think. But now, looking at the fixtures, only one midweek game left, I think we're actually quite likely to finish top four with Conte. And would it be so bad to let whoever comes next take over in the summer and have a clean slate and not have the risk of having a bad end of the season, etc. with the new man, and so have a less than ideal vibe going to the new season? Um, and I must say, the teams around us have certainly helped add to this argument. You know, Liverpool losing, Brentford not getting the win, Man U being held. These are all very helpful in the quest for finishing top four. I think Newcastle are the really, really big threat at this point. Um, and I can see the point that Harry's making. Let Conte just finish off the season, go quietly, then bring in the new man. My argument has been get rid of Conte and, and try and change the nature of the season. Plus, then a bit a little later has been give a new man a chance to assess the squad and work out what he wants to do in the summer. I think that I think it's a toss up now. You know, part of me wants Conte gone because the football's so dreadful, and I I don't enjoy watching us. And I still think there's a chance we won't finish top four. A, a strong chance we won't. I still don't think we'll get top four, to be honest. Um, but I do think at this point, given the results of the weekend, I think he's got as much chance of finishing top four as anyone, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think that's kind of where I'm at. Is that um, as a fan from the heart? Um, again, that he spoke unacceptably about the club. Um, and that he should be, if we have pride in ourselves, that he should be sacked for his comments. Um, however, with my head, following the weekend especially, um, we've now got a run of one game a week for a while and and uh, we're not playing so badly that we can't churn out enough results to, to grind out a top four. And then we can just wait until the summer. So I'm 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 kind of up in the air for me. I, I think that we have a decent chance top four with with Conte sticking around. Mm. I just won't enjoy it like, the entire time. But that's you know it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I think the next five games are are interesting because there's like there's some really appetising fixtures. Southampton and Bournemouth. You'd expect us to win both of those. So if we win mm-hmm. South, if we win against Southampton next, it puts us in a strong position. But then we play Everton away, a, a dice team. That's mm. It's quite tough. We play Brighton at home. You know, Brighton, one of the best teams in the league right now. Be that one. And then we play Newcastle. Then we play Bournemouth. Sorry. Then we play Newcastle away. And I think that is a really difficult game. Um, and then we play Man U. Then we play Liverpool. Mm. Um, so I, I think the chance. What I expect to happen is that things will look good when we beat Southampton, and then we'll be brought back down to earth over the next few fixtures. And I think the top four hopes will will peter out in an uninspiring end to the season. Uh, obviously, I really want to be in the Champions League next year. Really want to be in the Champions League next year. So I really want us to just get the job done, no matter how we do it. Um, Buddy, where you at? Give him to the end of the season. Either he hangs himself and and scuppers everything, and then he goes, or we, we finish top four and, and and it's been a decent season. There you go. That's that's where I am with it. I think. Maybe do, I have a do, do you think? Do you think that is true? Do you, Do you think if we finish top four, we can? I mean, because if we finish top four. I almost think it's not because of us. It's because of the failures of the teams around us because yeah. there have been some catastrophic um, slowdowns from from teams that would have been expecting to push for top four this year. Us included. But that always happens. 
That always happens. Under Pochettino, we got top four because teams dropped out. That's kind of what happens. That's the, that's the whole thing about it, no? You have to be the, the we don't you don't win you don't get top four by 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 luck. You get top four by being the fourth best team in the country. And to be in that top four, you always need somebody. Somebody needs to to stack it because otherwise you just give it to Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United. They get it top four every season. Otherwise, what's the point? Obviously, someone has to have a bad season. We need to take advantage of that. And I can't. It's what we've done this season. It's what we did many times under Pochettino when we finished above Chelsea, above Liverpool, above Man United. That's you, you need that. We're on. So for I don't sixty-five points at this rate. Like that's that's a low barrier for top mm. four. Like we've had seasons where we have fought hard to the final day to come fifth. You know, I yep. I get what you're saying, but I think that um, it's a it's a weak upper mid table this season for sure um yeah i think what but that's not that's not our fault that's not because sure. of us you know I, I think what nathan's just said is is the answer to the question we got from joey gentile which was are the 2022 23 spurs team on a path to being the worst team to qualify for the champions league in the premier league era and how would the extra inch measure that it's uh you'd have to look at points i mean the thing is obviously worst is in com- is completely subjective so like you, Everton, you, you know, you 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 could get the points on the board and play badly, which is I think what we've been doing. Yeah. Or you could, or you could play well and not get the points. It's um. There's probably for, been for, worse. There's probably been worse. Mm. But we're down there. <laughs> we'll we'll be down there. I think. Mm. Yeah. Let's do let's do this question because I think it's interesting on tactics. So James Valaitis says Antonio's comments about Danjuma not fitting into his system because he prefers to play with number tens made me realise I'd probably been thinking about his formation incorrectly. What game best exemplifies the Conte system? Whenever a wing-back crosses to another, people call it Conte ball. However, there's got to be so much more to what he wants to see. What is it? Nathan, you've been speaking about uh, Danjuma a little. The Danjuma thing, yeah, fucking... <laughs> this, is, this isn't really the question, but um, I want to talk about Danjuma. <laughs> um... Conte came out and said that he's he's not really a number ten. He's more of a of a winger, of a forward, which is basically what I said in in January when we were signing him. I was saying, why are we mm-hmm. why are we letting this guy? Um, uh, no, why are we going for this guy um, when we already have Son playing every game, Richarlison not getting minutes over him, Dan Juma is going to come in and be the third choice. What's that going to do for us? You can kind of play up front. And yeah, okay, I guess he could kind of play on the right, but not as well as Hill is currently playing, and now we're going to loan out Hill. Um, and, and and lo and behold, Danjuma's not played a single minute, isn't within a sniff of playing on the right. Um, we've been we've had no alternative to Kulusevski. Okay, Richarlison did okay against Forest, but that's the lone exception so far. Um, it's just like a, a very very significant aspect of this season which has probably gone under discussed by us and by everyone else is Kulisevsky right in out injured for most of the first half of the season clearly carrying a knock not at his best for the second half of the season right that is a huge huge mitigating circumstance in Conte's defense right when your best playmaker after Kane maybe but realistically when your designated playmaker on the pitch um, has given you almost nothing all season, that would massively undermine so many teams. Also, Conte has done every single thing in his power to make that as bad as it can be, right? He's, yeah. he's, he's, um, 
there was a period of time where Kulusevski was fit and he played Richarlison over him, right? He um, <laughs> he doesn't play Brian Hill for the entire first half of the season. He's the only natural backup to Kulusevski. Didn't didn't look at playmakers or didn't seriously go after playmakers in the summer beforehand. Um, Brian Hill finally gets a look in the beginning of January. Does a decent job. Okay, finally, brilliantly, we we have we have cover. Then then stops playing him. Then the club bring in Dan Juma. Did Conte? not know what profile Dan Juma was when he came in. Is he a club signing, which is what Conte has essentially said recently, that he's a club signing. Did Paratici not know what the remit was? Did Paratici missell the profile of Dan Juma to Conte? How has it happened that we brought in a player that is unwanted by the coach again in January? What was he thinking there? Why did we loan out Brian Hill after bringing in Dan Juma? when they're significantly enough difficult, different profiles that it's massively affected the shape of the squads. Uh, <laughs> also, you can question Conte's lack of rotation because I think that probably has an impact on Hugely. Kulisevsky as well. But then how do you rotate Kulisevsky if you don't ever have a backup in the squad that the manager well, accepts? Well, apparently you do it by playing Richarlison on the right. Yeah, it's, um, it's a mess. It's a mess. But again... Um, as every bit as you you feel like uh, Conte's had the rough of it with Kulusevski out, he's done everything in his power to make that as bad as it can possibly be. Mm. And, and we also collectively, you know, from our recruitment. But then it's like you get the situation where, like you see with Spence, like you see with Dan Juma, if you go, well, this squad needs a playmaker, Conte, so I'm going to bring in a backup playmaker. If he's not the exact player that Conte wants, it's wasted money, it's wasted time. It's a wasted spot in the squad. So I don't know how, I mean, I do know how. The answer is you don't hire coaches who aren't going to use the players that they're given. Or you give them players that they that they find useful, like Pedro Porro. Yeah, but if he's, if he's like, if we're saying, well, look, here's, here's Madison. No, you don't want him, you know? Um, uh, who was the other one we were strongly linked with? Whatever. You, you keep saying, look, here's, mm. here's some left-footed creative players who could, who could be back up to Kulisevsky and he says no to all of them. Maybe he, the one he wants is um, completely beyond our price range. And, and he says, no, this is the only one. He's going to come in and replace Kulisevsky um, and put Kulisevsky on the bench. And it's like, well, we can't realistically do that. And that's not the biggest need in the squad. There's no there's no compromise there. There's no grounds for, for actually doing something worthwhile for the squad. This isn't the question at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's an interesting point though. And in... You'd think that Conte would be involved in transfer discussions to some degree. Well, he has um, to in the sense that we've brought in Perisic, we've brought in Poro, we've brought in um, Longley, who he also wanted to enter. Yeah. So there are players that we brought in that he wanted, but there's also players we brought in that he didn't want. And then there's yes. all the space in between where nothing happens. And and Danjuma stands out right because he's a loan signing in January. Like he wasn't essential. He wasn't necessary. He was a he was a, like a bonus. Yeah. And so you think that Conte must want him because otherwise it's literally pointless signing him. Like he's Wait. not going to play any minutes at this yeah. rate. So it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's just another example of of things not lining up at Tottenham, which is. Yeah. The way it's looked for a couple of seasons now, I think that people, it, it does feel as though you know. Barry was talking earlier about we we see these snippets of conversations and then there was this discussions going on behind the scenes. It sometimes feels with Spurs like the discussions behind the scenes maybe aren't happening because nothing <laughs> makes sense. You, you kind of wonder what the hell is going on. Where's the overarching strategy here? Where's the where's the bigger picture thinking? Like what's going on? 
Has there ever been one? There's never been one. Perhaps um, under when we when we when we signed the young crop of English players back in the day, Simon Davies. Yeah, with David. Oh, I think Simon under Redknapp as well. Reed. I think there was. I think like where no where, way not under Redknapp. I think Redknapp got what he wanted. He like he was allowed to wheel and deal. Get the Croatians Sahar in. Sahar Nelson. No, nobody wants Sahar Nelson when you're chasing the league title. Yeah, okay, I, I take that. But I think, like, Redknapp did seem to get a lot of what he wanted as well. And, I, th- yeah, I mean, I do, I, I do broadly agree with the point that the lack of strategy has been a problem for many years, since probably Frank Arneson was at Spurs. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think it's... Bring a- back Kamoli. <laughs> That's the guy, he had a strategy. He did. There's, yeah, hmm? there's, there's, a real pro- there's a real problem at the moment. Um, n- no matter, like, what you believe, there's, there's clearly, like, a lack of joined-up thinking. Uh, the point around number tens, I think Conte uses this the term number ten um, in in contrast to how most Italians would use the the phrase number ten, right? Because number ten in Italy is like the guy; it's it's the playmaker, and Conte's talking about his two that play behind the forward in the four in the three four three. Um, so he like, he describes Son and Kulusevski as his number tens, but tr- we would we would call them inside forwards, like if we were talking about their position in, in an English context. Okay, uh, um, I'm going to embarrass myself in front of Bardic getting in over my head here, right? But the the Italian term trequartista, meaning someone who plays in the third quarter of the pitch, is probably the term that Conte is is doing the internal mm. translation of. So he's yeah, thinking yeah. of yeah. of of. Um, Literally where they play on the pitch. Yeah. Rather than like the role they play. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he's not talking about like um what the Argentinian in Gancho, he's not talking about yeah. like Kelme or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So I think I think he's he when he says number ten, he's saying um the third quarter player. He's he's yeah. saying uh, yeah. I I can't I can't really huh. I guess attacking midfielder, but then that that is also a, a sort of a loaded term in terms of yeah. we think of it being central. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean and in, in in some aspects of their game, they do play central, but in others, they clearly don't. So yes, yeah. yeah, he's not describing the roles in the way that we would describe them. I think. But my 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 impression is that um, we play um, in the left channel. We play the sun profile, which is backed up by Richarlison, um, and that 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 player does play back to goal does involve in build-up play but it's also the secondary goal scorer mm-hmm. and then we play on the right the Kulosevsky profile who sometimes drifts wide right as well mm. as well backed up by Lucas for most of the season whilst <laughs> injured backed up also kind of by Richarlison but not sufficiently in my opinion and and they're they're what we would traditionally called the number 10 right so dan juma could play on the left as a backup a third mm-hmm. choice um perma benched son backup but he probably can't play inside right um i mean actually i think he could do an okay job especially if he did the thing where, where kulisevsky stays wide and, and emerson royale yeah. plays narrow right but whatever yeah i mean I, I do think he's really good when he isolates a defender i think that's him at his best uh, and, and that's essentially what Kulisevsky is being asked to do. So I think he would suit that role better than better than um, Richarlison. For sure. I mean, the whole thing is crazy. We're talking about this guy like he's come straight from Bournemouth. He's scored six goals in the Champions League. He he's he's a real hot talent. And there's been a, a change of coach at Villarreal, and so he's seen himself outside the pecking order, right? But we're talking about a player who, in the summer, we we would be going for forty, fifty million. And uh, he's just rotting on the bench, essentially. Yeah, he could have been saving Everton from relegation. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, he's he's made some bad choices himself, hasn't he? Well, th- I think this ties in quite nicely with this question from Fergus McKee. He said, listening to last week's pod, one of the topics of discussion was the lack of rotation and not bringing through young players. Anyway, I thought that was down to tactics. If you're still chasing a game at 80 plus minutes, as we have been on many occasions, you can't realistically bring on some of the younger players in, the, in that game state and rely on them. Lack of game time will have an effect on players learning the system, ergo Conte learning to trust them. Fast forward to yesterday, despite being 3-0 up and playing reasonably well, I found myself being more angry watching Spurs than I have have been when we've been losing games. <laughs> we only have three fit, fit, fit midfielders and Conte waited until the 97th minute to sub on Saar. Conte could have subbed off Kane as well, but no, once again, he had to play the whole game. I know we only have Premier League games left now, but a little bit of rotation would have been good. We have five potential subs after all. And subbing on Mura, what the fuck, like actual, what the actual fuck? <laughs> How much of an F... You to Levy and Parachi is playing Laura over Danjuma. Yeah, yeah, I think good points in in both ends, right? You you explain really well why there's reason to be understanding as to the lack of substitution that the game state is really negatively affected things, and then you immediately provide the counter example of wait, actually <laughs> take take Hoybjerg, right? One of five central midfielders in the squad. So obviously, Benton calls out long term injured now, but from the start that he's one of the five central midfielders in the squads, they're all of a similar profile. He's played, he's closing in of 4,000 minutes this season at competitions. And, and, and obviously, his performances have significantly dropped off. Um, in Barley's opinion, since since November, but um, <laughs> but especially in the last few weeks, right? Mm. He was shambolic against the lad. <laughs> he, absolutely he was. Absolutely shambolic. It's true. He was awful. That's that was. I mean, I've gone after him many times when he's played all right, but that was the worst I've ever seen him play. I've never seen anyone just turn around. They've all they've all backed by their goal. They're all part of the bus. Turn the fuck around, man. And he would never do it. He, that was the worst I've seen it from him. Absolute dick. But, really wound but me up. But, why, why, why do you think he continues to play every minute when Sar's right there on the bench? I don't know, man. I don't know. And Sar, and Sar's looked but, really good in the in the first leg I against agree. Milan and has played well in all his cameos. I can't get my head around it either. Honestly, I can't. You know, it's it's not good. It's not sackable. Yeah, it's it's not good because it's it's putting Hoybier at risk of injury. It's not good because he looks tired. It's not good because um, it's not good for Sar. Exactly. Um, I I can't get my head around it at all. So you're saying Hoybier should be dropped as well? I'm saying that he should be rotate. He should have been rotated from day one. Yeah, I think so. I I definitely. I mean, I think obviously, I think I completely fundamentally disagree with your Hoybier. I think he's a I think he's a reliable, um, ever-present player. He would, yeah, he'd be an excellent sub for us next year if we get the well, by better defenders. Happy to have him on the bench. I, and rotate I think him. he should play... So let's say we play 60 games a season. So it's probably less than that. I don't know. 50 games a season. I'd like Hoybier to play 25 to 30 of them. I'd be really, I'd be really, I'd be really happy I'd with... Right. No, I'd be really happy with him <laughs> starting 25 to 30 of them and then, and then playing a part in others. <laughs> But if we, um, he, he, he'll if he'll we play fifty. Fifth, he'll, he'll he'll play fifty again if if Conte's there because he doesn't he doesn't rotate. If we finish fifth, I reckon Schubert could could really lead our Europa League charge. That'd be great. We um we're almost definitely going to have a different coach next season, right? And whether yeah. that mm. is Pochettino, Postecoglou, Zerbi, whoever, um, we drastically need to improve the technical level of this squad because at the moment it suits somewhat suits. Conte, where the decisions come, every every passing decision comes top down from from Conte, and therefore there's there's less 
but not know less technical requirement. Um, every other coach needs technical players and, and we're in a bad place technically. So especially in central midfields, there's got to be a significant changeover of profile um, and how suited Hojbjerg might be, whether he is he becomes the number six who sticks around or whether we look for um, different profile. Obviously, Benton Court's situation is very much up in the air. You've got Skip, who's an academy player, um, you know, now now also a first team player. Uh, it's um it's very much up in the air for me midfield. Um, but I think that we we're gonna have to make a hard call on at least. Uh, I have I've forgotten the existence of Bissuma. <laughs> um, we're going to have to make a hard call on at least two of those players, right? At least two of those players realistically shouldn't be in the squad next season, and all of them are up for grabs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's finish by talking about managers because we've got lots of questions in about managers, and it's um, there's a lot of interest there. So David Ornstein has re- reported that uh, when Conte leaves, the managers on the list are. Enrique, Pochettino, De Zerbi, and Ryan Mason, which was a surprise name to me. Um, but I have, that, having said that, there are there 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 are other reports linking Mason and suggesting that he's grown a lot as a as a coach this year. Um, I like this email from Dan Alvarez, who says, obviously this season hasn't been great, but if you would have told me that we could potentially be in the Champions League with Pochettino being odds on to be our manager, I'd be really <laughs> excited for next season, especially with what is a pretty interesting squad of players for a possession side, brackets when you consider some of the lone players. Poch should have a bigger budget than ever before, and importantly, I think he'd get the time he needs to build the next version of his Tottenham. Maybe I'm an idiot, but I'm pretty excited for the future and to potentially just watch some nice football again. Do you all think my Poch Pochettimism... Sorry, Dan, is unwarranted. Bardi, do you think Dan's pochtimism is unwarranted? I think whenever whenever things go bad, you always look for something that was warm and comforting in the past. So I think we didn't talk about it. It was in the running order. But against Milan, as, as the fans were leaving, there was some chance of um, his magic, you know, Pochettino. It wasn't quite the, the noise that some of the videos have made up, but there were there were groups of it doing it. And I, I do think there is something about going back to when things were nice and things were good. I'm totally against going back to Pochettino. Not because I think Pochettino is a bad manager, but I just think going moving backwards to somebody who we fired for, for when things weren't going right I think is always a bad decision I think Tottenham should move forward to a more progressive manager I don't think I've not seen anything from Pochettino I think he's, he's a different manager from the one that, that we already had I don't think he's improved or moved on I, I don't necessarily think he has improved or moved on but I think the club but is that what we want no but I think the club is at a different stage now to when he was last at Spurs I think now the stadium's built the revenue's there I think it's I see a lot of um, criticism of, of Daniel Levy in particular and Bainiak obviously not spending money. And I, d- I don't think that's true now. I, d- I think that's provably false if you look at what's happened since the stadium was built. I think Spurs now have the spending power of a genuinely big club. And I think over the next few years, we'll see us wield that spending power. And I think the next manager um, will be backed and it might be backed in the same way as Conte's been, i.e. you get players, but they're not necessarily the exact perfect players, the exact right ones. You haven't got Bastoni, you've got Longley instead. You haven't got, I don't know, whoever you've got, I don't know, Basuma, whatever. Um, but I do think that changes things somewhat with Pochettino. And I think he what he was working with previously was uh, 
not enough money to make wholesale changes on a season-by-season basis, uh, just keeping things ticking over and, and eking out the best from the squad he had. Albeit, I think, you know, there were problems there with him turning down players and, and having wanting too much control over transfers. So don't get me wrong, I think there would have to be a lot of adaptation on his part as well. We'd have to we'd have to bring in alongside Pochettino a new director of football, new in my opinion, because I don't think Paratici should be at the club anymore. I agree. Um, uh, I agree with that. Uh, I think if Pochettino is not willing to work with the director of football, then you move on to another choice. I agree. You, you, you move yep. on to De Zerbi or whoever. Um, but I fundamentally do think the position has changed at the club since Pochettino was last there. And I think he's a brilliant, brilliant manager and obviously a really good person to have as the sort of figurehead of your club. So um, Jack Pitbrook made the point that puts, you know, still more of a modern coach than any of the others that we've hired since he was fired. Yep. Um, and I agree with that. I um, <laughs> I have watched a lot of football <laughs> over the last few days, right? I've been watching Postecoglou Celtic. I've been watching uh, Schlotz Feyenoord. I have been watching De Zerbi's Brighton. And I've been watching Pochettino Spurs. Um, those, but that's a different era. I, I got that's yeah. a different era, though. No, a hundred percent, and that's the point I'm yeah. going to get to. Right? Is is um, those first three have a lot of stylistic similarities between them? Pochettino quite different to the other three. The most, the most different of the group, um, specifically in terms of like uh, the other three are, are setting up um, positional ideas so that you get numerical superiority in different zones and you keep the ball moving, 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 passing triangles, diamonds, keeping the ball away from the opposition to overload an area and underload an area and blah, 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 so on. Whereas Pochettino has some of those kinds of ideas, but but um, a lot of it is about creating 1v1 situations and being better in 1v1 situations, right? I've got the ball now. And so instead of passing it to my teammate, I'm just going to run straight into traffic. And um, if I lose the ball, which I may well do, because, you know, not everyone on the team is Musa Dembele, that's okay. We'll just win the ball back again. And then there's a loose ball. Oh, I'll I'll immediately try a three ball. Oh, that doesn't work. That's fine. We'll just win the ball back again, right? (laughs) This kind of football. Um, All of that, I think, is fine tactically. It's it's different, but it's it's still it's still worthwhile. The one place where I would say um, I would be slightly worried about how Pochettino ball has aged in just a few years is um, is possession from the centre backs. I think that under Pochettino we struggled when when we were pressed all the way to our centre backs some of the time, not all the time, some of the time. Um, more so when Dembele wasn't playing, which is half the time. Um, and we couldn't get the ball to him. But sometimes, even when he's on the pitch and we came up against really good pressing sides, Liverpool, uh, Leverkusen, um, probably some others, because there's less of that possessional structure, less of that, let's create overloads in this area, let's prepare these triangles, let's do pass, 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 pass real quick. Um, less, slightly less structure in, in the possession there. I would be worried that more teams are pressing teams nowadays. More teams are going to, not, not wait for us to get the ball in midfield before pressing us. They're going to engage higher. And the other thing is there has only ever been one Moussa Dembele, right? In order to make Pochettino work, I believe you need one of the best number eights in the world. And we would have to make that happen. And anything short of that, and I know this is very um, hypocritical of me because of the things I've said about Conte on this podcast, but anything short of a really 
really, really brilliant number eight who can progress the ball under immense pressure and carry a team, carry a midfield on his shoulders, um, is probably going to leave Pochettino shy of, of the football that he wants to achieve and that we want from him. So those are my concerns. To get those out there up front, I still think he's one of the better candidates out there for sure. But if there is to be, has football moved on since Pochettino in this time, those are the areas. I mean, I think what Pochettino offers, he offers something that everybody can get behind, which is, which is yeah. good. But I, I completely agree with what Nathan says. I'm not, I'm not sure. We're five years on, man, or even six years on from, from that, the team that everyone talks about. It's a long time in football. Um, that list you, you mentioned, I'm, I'm not too keen on Luis Enrique and De Zerbi would be great, but I, I can't be dealing with another Italian <laughs> at our club. Um, Let's get an English manager in. Get someone English. What, Ryan Mason? Uh, I mean, people. I don't know, but no, I'm not. Don't know about that. <laughs> doesn't he, he doesn't speak any languages. He'll just be there shrugging the whole time. Just following on from Nathan's points about Pochettino's system, Dominic Wilson says, if Poch does come back, how would the squad we have fit the system that he likes to play? Is there another manager on the shortlist whose style fits our personnel better? Well, let's 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 run through it. Let's let's like think about how Pochettino used to play at Spurs in in his peak years and how the squad fits so we know we need a new goalkeeper let's not even worry about goalkeeper if we think about our centre-backs so the peak Pochettino centre-backs or the back four in, in his best times if we're going for the back four period are we Adam, well I, I think it was I think it was overall probably the best I like the three I always preferred the I think the four-two-three-one with Dembele and Wanyama in midfield was probably the best no, I me. think that that was the reason that we played. The reason we switched to a three is because there was a problem in that midfield in terms of the passing range of the two players. Mm, yeah, I mean that's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, where do you start? Okay, so <laughs> let's, let's. Okay, we'll go with the back three. We'll go okay. with the back three because that's what we're playing at the moment. So he had Alderweireld, Vertonghen, Sanchez. No, we still got Sanchez at the club. Obviously, we don't have Alderweireld or Vertonghen. I think Romero is in terms of on the ball ability, ability to press. I think he's comparable with Alderweireld. He hasn't got the passing range, but we don't have anyone who can play like Vertonghen. Ben Davis is absolutely not peak Jan Vertonghen. Uh, so we would need to sign the left side of centre-back, right? We need to, regardless of who the coach yeah. is and, and whether we're playing three or four. And the profile changes if it's a three or a four, but we need to anyway. I think, sorry, just for a second, the Davis and Sanchez thing also highlights what I'm talking about in terms of how much pressing we're likely to face now in football, right? Davis and Sanchez thrived under Pochettino. And yeah, it's impossible to imagine him thriving again in a, in a central centre-back role under him because you can't just have a guy who shuffles the ball between two centre-backs <laughs> either side of him now. It's the on-ball stuff that's the issue. It's yeah. the on-ball. Because I think off the ball, I think he would suit Pochettino still. Sure. Uh, but yeah, on the ball, I, I completely concur. Um, Wing-backs, I think, is the area we're probably best set. Sure. Lots of Pochettino profiles, side. lots of options there. And like... Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It's, it's the different profiles. Um, Yudogi on the left, Spence Poirot on the right, Emerson Royal if he wants to use him. There's there's some really nice options there. Setting on even, you know, maybe. I, I've kind of given up on him, but maybe. Ha what about the midfield? Got we, have... had, we had Dyer and Dembele and Wanyama. Yeah. Um, now we've got Hoybier, Basuma, Bentancourt, Skip, Saar, 
I think that they're, they're compar- they do comp- like, obviously not Musa Dembele, but they they generally compare with Dyer and Wanyama fairly so the, favorably. The Pochettino midfield profiles, his you know, club club to club, era to era at Spurs, are you have a dedicated number six, a holding midfielder. Um, they are a defensively focused player, but if they can play the ball about as well, mm. they have a long range passing game that that is really helpful. And mm-hmm. then you have a a number eight who's still a somewhat defensive player, um, but Again, like I said, carries a lot of the weight in terms of ball progression. Um, so we've got multiple options for the number six, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Hojbjerg, Bissouma, Saar. For me, Skip isn't a fit for the profile, um, really. And Ooh, all the all the number eight. And again, Bentoncourt similarly, right? This isn't this isn't a critique of quality of them because if you accept that Bentoncourt is a really brilliant player, I don't think he could be a Pochettino number eight either. I don't think Skip Ooh. can. Interesting. Yeah, I think it could be uh, Bentancur. Okay. I think Bentancur could be a Pochettino eight, because, and especially when you factor in the the pressing requirement of the role as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously he's not Dembele, but he's pretty press resistant. Um, he's he's not um, extravagant user of the ball. He's quite safe in the same way Dembele was, but he can take players on. He can drive forward. He can arrive in the box more than Dembele ever did. I think I think he's someone he could work with, and I actually think Skip. I think Skip could do the job as a sit of the six as well. Okay. I like it. I like him as a six. I mean, I guess that this conversation then turns into the next part of the conversation, which is Christian Eriksen was on number ten. Mm-hmm. We don't have a number ten in the squad. To make the midfield work, you kind of need a number ten. Yeah, I think um, I think Kulusevski is a really useful option um, because he can play central. I believe he can play central, and he can play as sort of an inside um, right side player as well. So whether you're going to play. 4-2-3-1 or 3-4-3, he gives you options. But um, he's very different from Ericsson in terms of like, Ericsson in that role um, did Volume a lot of passer. dictating the play, right? Lot, yeah. Lots of tempo setting, lots of stuff that you more traditionally give to the central midfielder. A lot of um, recycling, you know, we were often camped out on the bo- around the edge of yeah. the box of the other team and Ericsson was the first to a loose ball and he'd one or two touch recycle the ball because yeah. he was so effective at doing that. Really high usage, whereas Kulusevski is get the ball drive, try to create something immediately, yeah. um, which is more sort of the Lamella profile, has existed. You know? um, but yeah, might be tricky if we're looking at a 3-4-3 and we're going, well, one of the spaces is obviously going to be taken up by Kulusevski and the other one's obviously going to be taken up by Sun. Um Therefore, we can't spend big on a number 10 to play backup. So it leaves you in a bit of an awkward situation, mm. um, which is a case for leading towards 43-1 and a big investment in a in a, in a a number 10. Mm-hmm. Who, who you'd think at this point would be James Madison? I think there's probably better options, but... He's, he's been linked to link to link though, hasn't he? I mean, it's it does seem like... It feels like one of the most obvious sort of transfers waiting to happen situations, Madison to Spurs. Okay. I, I could be wrong on that, but it just appears that the, the reporting just seems to hot up every window. Um, we need to increase the homegrown players in the squad, probably. And I, th- I do think he's good. I'm not sure where um, I'm not sure where Son would fit in this formation because I, I don't think Son is the same player that he was, and I I just I just think he needs to be a bit more involved in in build up. And if we were going to go three four three, Son is the position that I would look to um, to change something, somebody a bit more similar to Kuliseski on the other on the other side of, of Kane. So what do you do with Son? Uh, probably sell him if there's somebody out there who's who's willing to pay the money. Hmm. I also I also think we'll arrive at the point in the summer, regardless of where we finish. I think we'll arrive where we'll sell Kane okay. and probably sell Son and I, th- I think I think Tottenham is now 
I don't want us to sell Kane because of everything that Kane represents, but I do think we need to arrive at a point where we have to change we have to change the team. I don't think Kane can high press as much. So I think if we're going to go for a pressing manager, I think we need to replace Kane, perhaps put Richarlison there who's got a bit more legs. But I do think I do think we need someone who's a bit better in build up. I think you can get away with not having the ten and having maybe say a centre midfield of Bentancur and, and Skip or Saar and Bentancur mm. if you replace the sun position with somebody not perhaps the same profile as Kulisevsky, but someone a bit more similar, someone mm. who's a bit better in build-up. If Pochettino comes back to Spurs, I think Son and Kane will both stay uh, for like a one last hurrah kind of thing. Yeah, this and, is one of the possible benefits of going Pochettino over some of the other more long-term managers, right? And, and I also wonder, I also wonder whether maybe Kane plays the 10 for Pochettino. Like as he gets a little older, can't manage the press from the front as well, maybe he could be backing up the president of the 10 and Richarlison plays as a nine. But then who's... So you've removed somebody who can't press from right at the front of the pitch and put that person who can't press right in the middle of the pitch where you need legs. Well, I'm, so, I'm just wondering whether Ben Tenkor can kind of carry some of the burden for that. I don't think you can get away now with, with carrying an individual who can't who can't press. Either you, you play low block and counter and use Kane in that kind of link up or you... At, at some point we have to replace Kane and if we're going to go wholesale change back then you know might as well, might as well just do it now might as well just get on with it and <laughs> rip the and, blaster off mm. at some point we need to either his legs give up and he retires which is not going to be anytime soon or we sell him and we move on and it's difficult and it's complicated and there's a lot of there's a lot of, a lot of heart involved in that um, I'm reading Samuel Rook's book um and glory, 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 glory gone. I'm going to do a little interview with him this week. But he spoke about Spurs moving on from Bill Nick and Jimmy Greaves. And Jimmy Greaves, who we all know is one of our best goal scorers. And at some point, a decision needs to be made. And it's going to hurt, but it has to be done. And at some point, we're going to have to replace Kane. I, I, I hear that. I definitely hear that. I, 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 you're right. Um, I do actually think that the number 10 is, is the, the closest position to someone that you can just carry defensively on the pitch because the number 10 can just sit on the opposition's deepest midfielder and not have to wander around and then you can come up with ideas to press around them so maybe there's something there I um I think that there's definitely a case that we shouldn't be going into next season with Kane and Son that we should be looking to move one of them on mm-hmm. I think yeah this is why we said all this at the end of the podcast and we didn't leave with this <laughs> It's it's really tough. It's really, like obviously, I do this this spreadsheet stuff, right? Where I go, here's what we should be looking at for this window, and, and here's the thing: it's like I don't know who the coach is going to be. I don't know whether we're playing three yeah. or four. Um, I don't know whether we're going to have Kane and Son. I'm really at a loss how to start that. I might come up with some goalkeepers. I want to do some coding for some graphs on goalkeepers, um, but I'm really at a loss for for um, for doing Paratici's job for him if he even has his job. <laughs> Maybe the first thing on the shopping list is a director of football, right? I, I think that's true. No, it so should be. I, I really, I really, I'm really strapped for 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 summer content so far. Yeah, I mean, this has been highly speculative, but I have enjoyed, I have enjoyed thinking about it nonetheless. Um, I mean, there's there's going to be loads of talk. He can't take or leave. I, that's that's nailed on. But um, I do, I do think now we were talking about that that Pochettino team. It was a special team with incredible individuals, and I don't think, like Nathan said, I don't think you can come back and just replicate that with the individuals we got. You're going to have to invest in him, and that's ultimately where the club always falls down because we buy managers and we don't invest well, in well, properly. So properly. one one thing I would say in in um, response to that is that the team did have incredible individuals, but they weren't all incredible before Pochettino arrived. 
Like he developed that team more than I've ever seen a manager or coach develop any players at, at Spurs, I think. And I'm not seeing any player development at the club at the moment. And I think we need to change our mindsets a, a little because we've had Mourinho and Conte and you know whatever. You, you kind of forget that coaches can actually improve players. And Pochettino is capable of doing that. And I'm not saying he's going to turn um, Oliver Skip into Moussa Dembele. But I, I do feel like he can improve players all over the pitch, given the given the time, given the chance, given the opportunity. Um, but yes, it, I, I think he can be backed now and I think he would be backed now um, we have to have a structure in place to do it properly to do it well precisely you have been listening to The Extra Inch with me Windy my sidekick and best friend Barney and our tactics guy Nathan if you like this there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch production is by Nathan A. Clark our logo artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the x We love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. 